Turn in the Word of God, if you would, to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40 to 56. You'll find that on page 1101 in the Pew Bibles. And if I may just say, if you see that I'm not singing and sighing a bit more this morning than I usually do and not preaching with my usual vigor, it's because I'm not well. I just have a flu of some sorts or something, I don't know. And so if you would pray, that would be a wonderful thing. And uh, we trust the Lord will bless us in our weakness that the power might be all of his. (coughs) So the gospel according to Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, The crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and you will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the mother and father of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for him, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Thus far the reading of of God's uh, holy word. I don't know if you noticed as we read through these two passages of Scripture that Luke intends us to understand them together. The first passage is... Uh, about this man named Jairus were introduced to him who implores Jesus to come to his house. 
And then the story changes to focus on this woman who had had an issue of blood for 12 years, only to return again to the story of Jairus. This is what is called a sandwich technique. Jairus is the top and bottom slice, and in the middle is the story of the woman with an issue of blood. And then Luke ties these two stories together so that the woman is called daughter by the Lord Jesus, and the girl is the daughter of Jairus. And not only that, but the woman had her issue of blood as long as uh, the little girl was alive 12 years. And so Luke intends for us to understand these two stories together. Having said that, we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to focus on the middle section, on the story of uh, the woman with the issue of blood. You'll notice that uh, Jairus implores Jesus to come to his house, and as Jesus was on his way to, her, to his house, he is stopped by this woman who had an issue of blood. Now, that in itself might be all that you need to hear this morning. Perhaps this is the very reason why the Lord has brought you under the preaching of the Word this morning, just to learn this about the Lord Jesus, that He is an interruptible Savior. You might notice people uh, after the service in the foyer who who are on a mission, and they seem like they're really rude because they don't say hello to you or even give you any recognition. But it's not that they're rude. It's just that they're focused. They have to see someone on the other side of the foyer, and they're going to get there because they see that that person's free. And so you can interrupt them, not because they're unkind, but because they're so focused. Now, our Lord Jesus was extremely focused on the ministry, that his father had given to him. But it wasn't a focus that neglected the needs and concerns of those who were weak and vulnerable. The Lord Jesus is a wonderfully interruptible Savior. And I'm saying that that might be all that you need to hear this morning because you feel so overwhelmed by the situation and circumstances of your life. You think that no one cares and that no one has time for you. Well, the Lord Jesus does. That's the kind of Savior he is. Well, what is it about this woman? Well, her situation is really rather miserable, and that's for three reasons. First of all, she has the illness. It says there that she had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and that most likely means that she had vaginal bleeding for all that time. And so that, of course, would have left her weak and perhaps emaciated because of the the loss of blood. But it wasn't just the physical ailment that made her life so unpleasant. The book of Leviticus tells us that a woman was normally unclean throughout her cycle, and if her cycle then was perpetual as this woman's was because she had this constant uh, discharge of blood, then she would have been perpetually unclean. And that would have isolated her from everybody. 
It's quite possible that if she was married, her husband would have divorced her by now because everything that she sat on and everything that she lied on simply because of her discharge of blood would have rendered it unclean. And so no one else who touched it would remain clean. They would be unclean as well. And so people would have attempted to avoid her like the plague because they did not want to become ceremonially unclean themselves. And so her life was hard because of the illness, because of the isolation. And then notice that line that Luke the physician says at the end of verse 43. She had spent all her living on physicians, yet she could not be healed by anyone. She was at her wit's end. There was nothing that she could do. She had tried everything she knew to try. And if you read some of the cures proposed for this kind of problem, you know that she was not only attended by physicians but by quacks because some of the remedies are simply bizarre. But this was the situation that faced this woman. And so you can understand completely why she comes up with this plan to touch Jesus. We read there that she came and touched the fringe of his garment. Usually, you, th- you would think that the fringe of the hem of the garment is right down at the bottom. But the way the Jews wore their clothes, it's probably a tassel that would be somewhat mid-back so that she didn't have to reach down, but she could just reach across and touch the tassel. So let's just think about that touch for a couple of moments here. What is significant from it, about it rather? Well, the first thing I I think is puzzling is that whenever we read of our Lord Jesus' encounter with the unclean, we never read of him having to undergo any purification himself. So, for example, in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus touched the bier upon which the widow's son, the widow's dead son, was laying, that would have technically rendered him unclean. Or in Mark's gospel, when uh, Jesus encounters and touches the man with leprosy, he would have been unclean. Or later in this chapter, when he uh, grabs uh, the, the hand of the little girl and says, child, arise, because she was dead, he would be unclean. And yet, as I say, he's never undergoing, as far as we know, uh, except his initial one after his birth, any purification rituals. Now, that suggests something to me, because what it suggests is that there's some power in our Lord Jesus that is remarkable, such a power that instead of him becoming unclean by touching the unclean, the unclean actually become clean because of their union in some way with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a power in our Lord Jesus that is able to make the unclean clean while preventing himself from becoming unclean. I think about the reversing falls in St. John's in New Brunswick. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but uh, the St. John River uh, ends up, empties into the Bay of Fundy, and, and it goes through this narrow gorge right at the end, and there's quite the cascading falls. But twice a day, as the tide rises, the falls actually reverse, because the tide coming in is more powerful than the river coming down. And that's how we're to understand our Lord Jesus Christ. His power 
is greater than the power of sin and destruction and uncleanness. He is a God of grace and superabounding mercy and great power. So that's the first thing I want to point out from this touch. Jesus does not appear to become unclean by this woman's touch. The second question I want to ask is, why did the woman touch her? Well, if you read the commentaries, as I did this past week, you'll see that a lot of them accuse her of having superstition, that uh, if she wasn't superstitious, she would not have done something so secretly, so surreptitiously by reaching behind and touching his tassel. But I don't think she touched his tassel because she was superstitious. I think she touched his tassel because she was shamed. I mean, put yourself in her situation. How would you like to go up to the Lord Jesus in front of everybody and say, listen, this is my situation. I've had an issue of blood for 12 years, and and I'm unclean. Like, you just wouldn't do that. It It was the fear of shame that kept her away from the Lord Jesus. But it was faith that brought her to the Lord Jesus, even if she reached out her hand in secret to accomplish her desire. She wanted to be healed, and she probably had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ and of his great power demonstrated in so many ways throughout his ministry, about the sick that were healed, the demon-possessed that were freed, the dead that were raised, certainly having spent all her money on the physicians and getting no better herself, certainly the Lord Jesus would be a hope for her. And so in faith, she reached out her hand and touched the Lord Jesus' fringe. We know it's faith because later on when Jesus encounters her, he says to her, woman, or daughter rather, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So it's a timid faith, absolutely. But you get why that would be. It's a a, a faith that is from a woman who has shame. But it's not a faith that is ashamed because the Lord wonderfully answers her prayer. It's important for us to know that about faith. The blessing of faith is not determined by the strength with which it is expressed. That is, if you have a person with strong faith, with robust faith, with a faith that will stand up in the face of persecution and uh, opposition, and you have a person with a timid faith who is weak, who cowers, who is shameful. Uh, Both are faith. One's weaker than the other. But because both of these faiths hold on to Christ as the object of faith, and because he is so strong and powerful and able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to his glorious riches, any faith, however weak and frail and timid it is, because it is a faith united to a strong Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a faith that saves. She had faith. It wasn't superstition. It was fear. It was timidity. She had faith 
and we see that the Lord brought blessing to her. So first thing, third thing I want to notice is the results of her faith. The first thing is that uh, immediately, it says there in verse 44, she came up behind the Lord Jesus, touched the fringe of his garment, and, <coughs> and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. So there was instantaneous healing. She had come into the presence and into connection with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the God of all grace and mercy, and he dispelled the uncleanness just like that. Nothing is too difficult for our Lord. So she experienced instantaneous healing. We know that because she tells uh, Jesus in verse 47 that uh, when she had touched him, she had immediately been healed. So this was a conscious experience of, of this woman. She knew that she had been healed. But what happened in the Lord Jesus when this woman touched her? Well, Jesus stops and asks a question in verse 45. Who was it that touched me? And all denied it. And Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you, and you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And so you understand, uh, Peter, though, though it seems somewhat bold of him to really reprimand the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus asked, who touched me? And all the crowds were, were pressing in on him. It says that in verse 42 as well. And, and Peter just states the obvious, Master, the, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. So he's really saying, that's really a ridiculous question. Do you know what you're asking? Who touched you? Well, a, a thousand people are touching you. Why are you asking this question? But Jesus is not put off by Peter's response. No, Jesus says, no, someone touched me. As one commentator says, uh, the crowd pressed in on him, but one person touched him in faith. And when this woman touched him in faith, Jesus experienced, perceived, he says, that power had gone out from him. This is something that had been said earlier in Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 6, verse 19, where we read that uh, great crowds came to Jesus to be healed of their diseases, and those who were cured or who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So how are we to understand this power going out from our Lord Jesus? Well, I think it highlights two things for us. One, it gives us an insight into the redemptive ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a violence to Christ's redemption. Now, you say, of course there is. Just the way they treated the Lord Jesus was violent. As, as the Jews clamored for his uh, crucifixion and the soldiers, the Roman soldiers mocked him and spit upon him and scorned him and pressed a crown of thorns upon him. And then the cruelty of having nails driven through your hands and you being placed upon the cross. Of course, there's violence in the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what I mean is not just the violence against the Lord Jesus, though there was certainly that, but the violence of the Lord Jesus 
against his enemies. You might uh, remember in Numbers 14 as uh, Moses is interceding for God's people, he has this curious comment. You know, he, he's, the Lord threatens to, to wipe out the people with pestilence and to disinherit them, and, and Moses says, no, Lord, you can't do that. I don't want you to do that. Think about the honor of your own name. And so instead he says, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised. So redemption is a demonstration of the power of God. As Thomas Goodwin says in one of his volumes, it would have been much easier for God to wipe out all sinners and to start new. It's a lot easier, he says, for him to make friends, new friends, than to reconcile enemies. But that's not what God had chosen to do. He had chosen to show his mighty power in the redemption of his people, a power that culminated in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, which appears from our perspective to be weakness, but was actually the strength of God. Again, as Goodwin said, on the cross, though Jesus was displayed as weak and helpless, he took the cross beam of the cross, and with it he crushed the head of the serpent. Because that was the gospel promise, right? Right at the beginning of time. I mean, the gospel promise is a violent promise. That one day the seed of the woman would come who would crush the head of the serpent. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, contrary to what others might think, and contrary to how others treat him, he's not someone to be embarrassed about as if he were just a weakling and a wimp. No, he is the mighty lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one who conquers. He's the victorious one. He's the one who's all-powerful. He's the great and glorious God. And when he brings redemption, it is a demonstration of his power to engage with the enemy of our souls and to bring about redemption, and freedom, and victory, and conquest. Remember how Paul says it in Colossians 2, that Christ made a public spectacle of principalities and powers, triumphing over them by the cross. So when our Lord says that power has gone out from him, he's reminding us of the violence of our redemption that we have a mighty champion who goes against the champion of the evil one, just as David went against Goliath, and Christ conquers. But it also, <coughs> it also suggests that there's some deliberateness about the Lord Jesus' salvation here. Because Jesus says, someone touched me, and I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, Jesus knew what had happened. You get that because uh, in verse 47 we read, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, that is, Jesus had his eyes on her, he knew what had happened. And when this woman touched him in faith, it wasn't just simply that she had touched him, but when she touched him in faith, his response was, 
to meet that faith in its need and to bring restoration to this woman. Jesus was deliberate. It wasn't just that uh, luckily she touched him, and wouldn't you know it, there was some magic involved and she was healed. No, Jesus healed this woman because she touched him in faith. So that's the first thing, the the third thing uh, that I want to notice uh, from this passage, the results in the woman, immediate restoration. In our Lord Jesus, power had gone out from him because he was redeeming this woman. And then the last thing I want to point out is uh, that uh, Jesus exposes this woman. So, when, uh, when the Lord Jesus uh, uh, said in verse 45, who was it that touched me? You can imagine some of the fears of the woman. She had got what she wanted. The issue of blood was immediately cleared up. And you can see her turning around and going home thinking, wow, that was a lot easier than I thought. And then she hears the question, who touched me? And then perhaps she thought, wow, Peter, good for Peter. Perhaps Peter's logic will win the day with the Lord and and he'll just drop it because after all, everyone is pressing in on him. But Jesus persists. Someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And the woman recognized that Jesus had his eyes on her and there was no escaping his gaze. And so we read there, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now, why would Jesus do that? He knew that she wanted to come in incognito, to kind of fly under the radar, to do her stuff, to touch him, and then to go home, delivered from her malady. So why would Jesus publicly expose her? Some might say publicly embarrass her. Well, you would only say that if you thought that our Lord Jesus had some streak of cruelty in him. And of course he doesn't. That would be ludicrous to think. Everything that we know about the Lord Jesus shows him to be kind and tender-hearted and gracious, and particularly to those in distress, he is gracious and kind to them. So why does Jesus expose her? Why does he take this woman who wants to be private and make her a public figure? Well, I think this is Jesus' PR campaign. That is, he does it for three reasons. First of all, he wanted her to have a public restoration. It's no doubt because of the proximity with which uh, proximity with which people lived in these towns. It was. It's no doubt that everyone knew of her malady that she had had an issue of blood for as long as she had. And now that she was healed, if she were simply to go home, not everyone would know that she had been healed. 
And there'd always be the gossip. There's always uh, gossips in every crowd who would love to just share the news that she was the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. But Jesus undercuts all gossip and removes from her all public shame. Yes, she did have to come forward. Yes, she comes forward trembling. She did have to tell her whole story, her whole situation. But she also was able publicly to say that she had been immediately healed. And so immediately the shame of uncleanness is gone. She's publicly restored so that no one can speak evil of her any longer. And so as you can imagine, this was actually a kindness of the Lord Jesus to call her to do something difficult because he designed something for her blessing. So that's the PR campaign, the first part, public restoration. Secondly, it's a PR campaign in that Jesus wants to highlight personal relationship. She had touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately she would have been healed. But you'll know that salvation is never a matter simply of dealing with the troubles and difficulties of our life. Now, salvation does deal with the troubles and difficulties of our life, particularly the difficulty of sin, but every difficulty in that upon glory all things will be made new. But that's never the goal of our redemption. It is always a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus could have let her go home with her healing, but she wouldn't have had a personal encounter with him. And that personal encounter with the Lord Jesus is so vitally important as you read through the Gospels. And it's important for us to understand that as well. Remember uh, what, it sa- what it says there in, in uh, Luke chapter 13, where Jesus is talking about the narrow door and pressing people to strive to enter in through the narrow door. And then he tells the story. He says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. You see, it's not proximity to Jesus that brings spiritual blessing. If all this woman had was a touch of Jesus' fringe, then all she would have received was physical healing. Jesus highlights here that it is in the knowledge, the personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is spiritual blessing. And so it's no good for you to say, you know, I've grown up in the church. I've been in the same place where Jesus has been. We heard Jesus talking in our church each Lord's Day. It's not proximity to Jesus that saves, but it is faith in the Lord Jesus, a personal encounter with him as your sovereign Savior and your redeeming Lord. 
That's what Jesus wants to highlight as the second prong of his PR campaign. campaign. Not just public restoration, but personal relationship with Jesus. And then the third aspect of his PR campaign is this, and that is plentiful redemption. As I said, if she had just touched the the fringe of Jesus' garments, uh, she would have been healed. But Jesus is interested in more than that. And he highlights that in verse 48. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. That is, your faith has saved you. That it isn't simply a healing of your body. That would be okay. I mean, that'd be great if you were that woman. But it's possible to have a healed body and still not know the Lord and not know the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and not know the peace of God that excludes all condemnation. It's possible to have a healed body and go to hell. And Jesus doesn't want that for this woman. He wants her to experience the fullness of his grace, that with him there is plentiful redemption. And so he stops her, and he highlights that through faith in him, she has been saved. That's the same word that's used. It's not just that she has been healed. She has been saved. And then she sends him, sends her rather, to go in peace, in shalom, knowing that, the God, that God is reconciled to her and that she is reconciled to God. So how do you receive this? Well, this is a good question, but he says that it's her faith that has saved her. Her faith, as I mentioned, was timid and small, but it was faith because her faith went outside of herself. She did not trust herself. It went beyond the trust of the medical doctor. She had been there. She had done that and had been so unfruitful and unsuccessful for her. And so she went to the Lord Jesus as the only one who could do for her what no one else could do for her, who could heal her. And then, lo and behold, she finds out not only does he heal her, he also saves her. So may I commend this Lord Jesus to you this morning. It's not proximity to Jesus. It's a personal encounter with Jesus. It is through faith. That faith itself is a gift of God, uh, but it is through faith as the instrument, as the empty hand that receives his grace, as the one that brings you into union with the Lord Jesus Christ so that all the power of his grace flows into your life and pushes back all the evil of sin that has wreaked havoc in your life for so long. Come to the Lord Jesus so that you might know his kind words. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And notice, and this is something that... uh, Jesus does nowhere else in the Gospels. But notice what he says to her in verse 48. Daughter, your faith has made you well. He reaffirms to her, or affirms to her rather, that she is no longer on the outside, but that she has been brought in. She's a member of the family of the Lord Jesus. And as a member of that family, she receives all the graces of that home. May God bless his word uh, to our hearts. Let's pray together.
<clears throat> o Lord, our God and gracious Father, we thank you for our dear Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is so interruptible, that he cares for our needs, that he's so kind and tender-hearted, that uh, even when he brings difficulties in our life, they're always brought to us for our good, for our blessing. And we pray that you would give us grace, that, that we might trust this Lord Jesus more and more, casting all our cares upon him, knowing that he cares for us. We pray for those who are wavering, who think that they are unloved and unnoticed by the Lord. And we pray that you would uh, draw them to the Savior and hold before their eyes this loving uh, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who, who do not think they need the Lord Jesus. And we pray that uh, they might come to the end of their own resources and that they might uh, flee uh, to the Lord Jesus with faith, even if it's a timid faith, that they would reach out and touch our Savior. We pray, our God, above all, that you would, by your Spirit, reach down and touch us and that you would bring us more and more into union with your beloved Son so that we might know all the blessings of uh, your salvation in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. Well, let's uh, sing together hymn number 500.